When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back for another week of defense with our DC, Dan Carroll. And today we're going to be talking about having a system for pass rush lanes, third down disguise, and of course our option tips. And joining us, as always, is Dan Carroll, defensive coordinator of the USFL Michigan Panthers. Dan, great to have you back again this week for what was an exciting weekend of football to review. Great to be back, Keith. Man, uh, you know, I have not got a lot of opportunities in my life to sit around and watch a, an opening week of college football, but if they've all been like that, man, I understand what the what the fans see and, and why it's such a big sport because that was amazing, a really exciting weekend. It's something, Dan, as I've stepped away a little bit and got into this mode where I was looking at games like this, I mean, you see it every week, and the fun part is putting the coaching lens on this rather than the fan lens. You can take a lot away from this and, and learn from these games. And certainly that's what we're presenting here today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, you sit around and watch as, as many as you can and take notes and look at different things. Of course, my week started on Thursday night with the backyard broad, somebody who uh, grew up in Northern Panhandle, West Virginia. That was an unbelievable game. And it was awesome to watch to see that it's back and just a, a lot of great games over the weekend. What we've focused on here the last week really is a, a big tip, and then we highlighted some teams, and of course we gave our option tips. So we're going to start this week with a focus on pass rush lanes, and that was kind of the theme of the week for you, something that you saw often was teams having bad pass rush lanes, and that's something that was hurting the defense. Yeah, I, I think just watching through the game, see a lot of, of different breakdowns in pass rush lanes, whether – there's nobody to set the width of the pocket or whether they get a four-man rush gets out of balance three to one. But, you know, I think that it's very important to look at that. In college football, you don't really play any immobile quarterbacks. There's just every, all these guys are athletes. And yeah. you look at some of them and you think maybe he's a pocket passer or maybe he's this. If you give them a crease to step up and get six yards on third and five, they will get it. And I think you see that just across college football. And, you know, I think also as the sim pressure and creeper world is evolving still, that's where you end up losing a lot of pass rush lanes because, you know, you've got guys working from three technique through through the B gap to try to contain or four eyes that got to loop out, sometimes maybe versus a three-man surface and max pro to loop out to, to set the edge of the pocket. So going through all these problems and experiencing these things, you know, throughout life, I kind of tried to build a system. Uh, one that works for us, not necessarily the, the perfect system or a system that is maybe better than anything else, but I felt like from a communication standpoint, from an adjustment standpoint, we had to build a, a rush lane system. The way you related it to me really highlights the importance of this and, and why you do something like this. And I'm, the, I'm a big believer in systems, right? Every big defensive system is made up of many systems. The same goes for offense. The same goes for special teams. 
And it's really about the information you want your players to have so they do things the right way. And you equated it to, you know, the secondary, that we don't have a freestyle of play in the secondary, that those guys just don't get to go out and do everything they want, that there are very specific things, that this is exactly what we expect, and here's our ways of getting it done. And that's essentially how you've looked at it and built a system around it. Yeah, I mean, the first time I had to coach the outside linebackers and the edge rushers, I felt that there was a little bit more freestyle and pass rush than anywhere else. And, you know, I know D-line coaches work extremely hard and diligent on pass rush technique and pass rush moves. And those guys have built out, you know, systems for each individual player on, you know, their best move, their best counter, those things. And, and that is such a, a level of detailed work that, that those guys put in. But sometimes it's like they get all that. It'd be like teaching a DB all these great techniques, but sometimes they got there and they don't know who to cover. Well, it's kind of moot that, point that they have all this great technique if they can't know who to cover so you know what what we got into and I, I kind of sat back took a look at it and said there's really seven possible rush lanes now obviously you don't bring seven guys very often if ever right and then but there's seven different lanes right there's a there's a zero rush which is pretty obvious to everybody this is what how we term it right obviously it just works for us there's leverage rushers which is the two edge guys Okay. There's a B rush on each side and an A rush on each side, potentially. Obviously, most of the time, you know, you're only using three or four of these lanes, but they all kind of work together and we'll kind of talk through them a little bit. So yeah. you're always going to have a leverage rush okay, on each side. You're always going to have somebody that's supposed to leverage the pocket. And that's what we say that the leverage rushers set the width of the pocket. If I came up one time and decided that we needed to drop nine into coverage, I would have two leverage rushers and that would be it. Now, I've never done that and probably won't, but if we did, we would always keep leverage rushers because the leverage rushers are going to set the width of the pocket. The only way you can do that is you get to the depth of the quarterback. So as a leverage rusher, your job is to set the width of the pocket. Okay. And again, this doesn't necessarily speak to the technique of pass rush, just where I expect these guys to end up and be on the drop back pass. So leverage rusher, set the width of the pocket. Your depth is the depth of the quarterback. Max depth is one yard past the quarterback. And once you hit one yard past the quarterback, you are mandatory vertical retrace. And we teach a vertical retrace, meaning you're going to put your foot in the ground and you're going to retrace your steps exactly vertical and not sometimes I see guys retrace kind of toward the quarterback. And what they do is they end up in front of him and then he's able to back up and escape out. So now they have not leveraged the pocket, right? They've not set the width of the pocket. So, you know, mandatory vertical retrace. So leverage rusher, depth is the quarterback. Max depth is one yard past the quarterback. As soon as you hit that, you got a mandatory vertical retrace. Those are those are your leverage rushers. And they can be anybody, right? They could be a defensive end. They could be a blitzing linebacker. They could be a blitzing safety. The point is everybody's got to know and understand these, right? And then everybody in each call will know, you know, which rush, that, which rush lanes we're occupying on this call. So you know, those are your leverage rushers. Then a B rusher, you know, we have two, com- we have two B rushers, a, a B charge and a B counter. So maybe if we were like in bear, uh, you would be a B charge. You, you don't counter and bear. Now we could, but in, in base install, we don't, right? There's always these caveats. And then it comes to down to like, who, who are the guys you have? And, you know, do you want this guy? You got a great three tech rush or whatever, but you know, like a B charge, right? You are a three, three technique rusher, a B gap rusher, no matter what, right? maybe a blitzing linebacker, right? If you're just going to plug both A and B gap with the linebackers, like a bullets rush, that backer is a B charge rush. You're not countering out of the B gap, win the B gap, go. Now, my same thing, my landmark on, as, a, as a three rush is the, is the upfield shoulder of the quarterback. 
right? I want to be on quarterback's upfield shoulder. And it's the same thing. If I get any part past the quarterback, I'm a mandatory vertical retrace. Now, beat counter, if we said, hey, you got to beat counter on this. Okay, now that's when I let the three technique go. He's a B to A rusher. You know, he's, he has the A gap to win it, right? If we're in just basically, we're in base four down defense, uh, over defense, and we got a good three technique rusher, he's a B counter. He'll be able to fall back into the A gap. Now, A rush, you have an A, a charge and an A cover. Okay, so we have an A charge where the, the nose, the two eye, however we're going to do it for the week, he stays in the A gap. That's A charge. You're in the A gap. Maybe that's a blitzing backer. Maybe it's the nose, whatever. A cover is if we're going to give the, the leverage, the perceived leverage rusher on that side to an open B gap, if we give him a two-way go, then that nose w- would cover. So he's got to be conscious of where that guy is, and if he's going to use the B gap, then the nose becomes the leverage rusher. right? And then he has to – Fit all the same rules of leverage rush. He's got to get to the depth of the quarterback, max depth, one yard pass, mandatory vertical retrace. And then, you know, there's some variations you can get off that. You know, we have like a, a B a B counter cross, which is allow, allows the three technique to counter in the A and then go all the way across, and then the nose would cover him. So there's a couple of different variations. But the biggest thing that I think for this, and then obviously, excuse me, there's a zero rush. He pushes the pocket. He's going to bury the center right back into the quarterback's lap, and then he's going to be play the – if it's a true zero rush, he's going to play quarterback escape in both A-gaps. But the big thing for us was just to be able – the ability to communicate it on the field, to know the expectations for each player of, hey, where do you end up on the quarterback? What is your rush lane here? And how do we change this communication on the field? Because, you know, you might get into the game and, okay, they always slide the protection away from the back. That's what we practiced all week. They're always going to go away from the back, right? They're turn center away from the back, no matter what. We're going to be in four-down defense. We want to play an A-charge on the backside because we want the end to stay as a, as a leverage rush. We're going to set the three technique to the back, and he's going to be a B counter rush. So he's got A to B. He, he knows it's him versus the guard. Maybe the back will chip him, but if there's no pressure, the back will probably get out. So it's him versus the guard. Center's going to turn the other way. All right, that's what we want. Now, all of a sudden, you get in the game, and the center turned to him. Right. He countered in there, center put his helmet under his chin and, and you know, straightened him up a bit. And it was like, okay. So now we're going to set the three to the back. And then we're going to be able to say, hey, we're going to go A cover on the back side. And then you're a B charge on the front side. So now we're going to give the rush the two way go because we feel like that they're going to turn the, the, the protection toward the three technique. So we're going to give the end the two way go and then make the nose be the cover. And you can handle all that in the game when you have a system. Right. When you have words and you have a system and everybody knows it you can handle all that and i think that it's been important at times especially if we're in like a a blitz situation or maybe we're we're bringing two off the edge and, and we're making a three technique come out to be the leverage rusher well it's been taught since day one the landmarks and the depth for the leverage rusher and i think that's what you see as much as anything is just that when you're using interior guys to loop out off of pressure or off a of movement to become the, the leverage rusher that the pocket doesn't the, they don't end up setting the width of the pocket mm-hmm. they don't get deep enough or you know sometimes we tell those guys hey, if the tackle kicks wide you can counter in which in theory sounds sounds good but so many times you do that and the tackle just pins you down and the quarterback just runs out so i think it's so important to build a system like that i think that having a system that you can coach and again the the linebackers the safeties they need to know this too and they need to know that when you blitz, you're going to end up in one of these positions. And then you have a certain spot on the quarterback that you need to finish on and a certain depth that you can hit. 
Because the other issue is that just when you let guys go, that the depth of running past the quarterback and just wasting yourself, like that's something that you have to get out of players because, you know, especially the leverage guys, they will do that in a heartbeat. They'll be six yards behind the quarterback and think they were going to win with speed and just, you know, weren't able to do that. So building a system out, teaching it to everybody. And, and we did a lot of work just on cones, just you know, calling our blitzes, calling our pressures, calling regular rushes, and just ending up on a quarterback. And so I think if, if you build that out, you generally get pretty good results. And I know it improved improved our ability to do that because, you know, again, you work so much rush technique, right? so much. And those guys work so hard. And the D-line coaches work so hard at those things. But sometimes it just you look up and it's like, the rush technique didn't matter because as soon as the ball was snapped, we opened the B gap up six feet and the guy quarterback just ran through it. I think those things are, you know, obviously systems and, and teaching and how we teach it, how we communicate on the field become so important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the other side of the ball, they're teaching that quarterback to look for his escape route. Sometimes they're planning that escape route based on the protection or sometimes looking at how you rush as well. And Hey, we know here's, here's where we're going to be able to escape this week. So your system of, of pass rush lanes does allow you to communicate it on the field. I want to take a, a step back real quick. You mentioned that you do drill this on cones, but this kind of goes back to camp. How, how do you install this? Is this something you cover in uh, a meeting with the individual players? Are you working together with them as a group to help them understand it? What's the way that you found to best install uh, a pass rush lane system there's a few things i think within a defense that you should cover as a group takeaway system if you got a, a system of how you strip the ball you know that type of thing i think that's a group coverage thing tackling i believe is something you cover as a group this is something i believe you cover as a group because in the college game the only person that's not involved in this is the field corner all right we're going to blitz the boundary corner we're going to blitz you know every safety at some point or another Everybody except the field corners involved in this. And if you're not flipping corners, then it's every corner because that field corner could be the boundary corner on the next snap. So, yeah, I believe that you should first install this early and do it as a group. But just make sure as, as coaches, every single defense, you're asking the guys, what's your rush lane here? I'm going to be counter. What's your rush lane here? I'm going to be charge. Okay. Right. So I'm an A counter. I'm an A cover. So I think that you have to constantly be just, beating it into them, especially if you're a multiple system. If you play four down and you've got a couple little games and twists, it, it's probably not that difficult. But if you're a, a creeper team or a sim team and a fire zone team, that's when it, there becomes a lot of understanding and learning to this. And, you know, I talk about all the fire, different fire zones that we've had. And, you know, you become uh, just teaching those backers based on where they're sliding is changes what rush lane you become. So that's something that, you know, that takes a lot of time and practice and effort. But you know, I think you started in the meeting. I think the whole team, the whole defense needs to understand that we have this system in place and that everybody is expected to know and understand it. And this is the communication. This is the language. This is the verbiage. And then, you know, as you break into position meetings and, you know, and if you get into group meetings like back end, front end stuff, uh, you know, just got to continue to emphasize it. And then from a drill perspective, I think it's something you can do, you know, in the summer, or whatever, whenever you got time, but you know, we're out there with, with cans and then a, a pocket made of seven dots. We don't, not actually cones, we use like the rubber dots shaped into a pocket on the other side of the cans, and we'll call a pressure, we'll call just a regular call. And 
you know, the backers will be there and you know, maybe the safeties aren't there or whatever, but you know, we'll get them closer to camp. But the backers are there, the D line's there and we hit those landmarks, right? And there's a quarterback back there and we hit those landmarks and the quarterback moves and the pocket moves with them and just teaches us where we finish on this and stick a back in there and, and kind of where it goes. But, you know, I think drilling it, I think it's something that is easy to drill in the summer. And, you know, we added some varieties to it where with the leverage guys and just coaching those guys, I had an actual like manager or other player hold a, hold a bag and then, you know, kick, kick, kick and get them a yard deeper than the quarterback and teach the vertical retrace. There's a lot of things you can do with it. Sure. It doesn't have to be high impact. I think it's one of those things you can drill a lot in t-shirt and shorts and it doesn't, doesn't need a football. So whatever you're doing, you know, those times that the, the powers of be say we can't use the, the little leather thing, then you, you got a chance to, to, to get some work done with this. Definitely. You look at the season too, and you certainly want to save on bodies and the number of hits your players are taking in practice. So to be able to, to do that, especially if you found a week where, Hey, we, we need to uh, we need to get better at this, and like you said, it's it's not always technique that gets you in trouble. It's just not following through on what your responsibilities are. So having something like this certainly can organize that. The next thing I wondered is how you go about and organize your thought process on game planning to look at the different ways that you're going to get into these lanes each week. Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. The biggest thing. I think that we all do in pass rush is try to find the best matchups, especially, you know, if you're going to overload pressure and do, you know, you have a, a build out pressure package, you're really looking to try to just get it to the man side, right? I mean, that's the man side of protection. That, that's kind of what we're all doing. Like give us indicators to what the man side is to, to getting those pressures. But the, the four down, I think it's an art form and a skill in coaching as a, as a coordinator, as a D-line coach, anybody that's coaching the front, to, to get your front set and get your matchup set with a four-man rush and how, how, can we make, how can we create pressure with four. What games, what protection areas can we beat, where can we really attack them with four guys? That, to me, is, is like the real art of being able to get a rush because I think that we can – all of us can draw up really nice pressures, especially overloads. You know, I got a lot of those. I, you know, most guys do. And whether you're playing man behind them or, you know, maybe maybe dropping a guy out and trying to get to a fire zone, but still trying to bring four to a side. I think those are important. A big part of what people do on third down, but the the ability to say, all right, I want I want to be able to play a beat counter because I know I know that our three technique can beat this guard, and I can know that I can where I can put him to make sure he's alone on him and the center's not going to help him. If I can figure that out and the three can beat the guard, that, that's that's really good for us. That's a win for us because we can get pressure with four. If I can figure out that we can always get the protection turned to the three and I can let my rush in, my five technique, to the open B gap, have a two-way go, and he can press a tackle vertical and spin inside and, and, and go crazy on it, and I can the nose can definitely become the leverage rush, those are the things that I'm looking for. And then from a game plan perspective, and kind of like I alluded to earlier, and if it changes throughout the game, we now have a system to make those adjustments. And I think that's a, a part of game planning that is important to understand too. If we go in with this thought that they're always going to turn the protection away from the three, they're always going to turn the protection away from the three, they're always going to do that, we should already have a – if we have a, if that's a big part of our game plan, 
we should already have the plan if they don't do that, right? I, I don't want to make that up on the sideline. I don't want to be in the middle, you know, what after the players come off the field and say, all right, they're not doing what we thought they would do, so what should we do? Right? That, to me, that's, that's bad. That's not anticipation. That's, that's bad coaching. So if we're going to build out a big part of our game plan, maybe it's third down or maybe second and medium, second and long, based on this is how they do their protections, then we better build out, okay, what if they don't? Right? At least have a thought, right? Somewhere on your call sheet notes, if third down protection is different, go to this. So, you know, I think those are uh, important things in game planning and having the system to, to communicate it as things go go awry as they tend to do in football. Yes, they do. And I think, in, again, in any phase, as I said before, having that system allows you to be very organized uh, in your teaching, in your install, in the way that you game plan, and then certainly how that extends to a, a practice plan and then the adjustments, right? A good system is going to take you through the steps of doing all of that. It really, it's for the players, for sure. You want them to think a certain way, but I've found is, you know, I, I learned this game and I started to implement more and more of those systems. It really cleared up the thought process for me as the coach, and it gave me definitely a process for here's how we need to think about it and get to the answers. Cause as you said, these things are going to go awry. Well, we'll take a look then at disguise third down, especially. And we saw a great performance out of the Ohio state defense. They held Notre Dame to 253 total yards, 76 on the ground. And I think a big factor in this game, they were 77% successful on third down stops, uh, limiting Notre Dame to three of 13 conversions. So an excellent job there by the new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles. And I know you liked what you saw in some of the disguises they were using. Yeah, from the offseason, just the things that have come out of there. Obviously, Ohio State uh, grew up in Ohio, got a chance to coach there. This was a very hyped uh, defensive overhaul for those guys this offseason, and I was really excited to kind of see what they had. I will say a couple times, you know, in their fire zone stuff, the, the touchdown Notre Dame scored particularly, I thought that maybe the disguise got them a little bit. I thought, yeah, this is not third down, we're getting a third down in a second. What was interesting to me, this happens sometimes, you build these fire zone rotations maybe off two-by-two, two, three-by-one distribution, which is great. Yeah, a lot of people do that. I've been a part of doing that. But when they put three into the boundary, they were in like a tight end wing set with the back offset there. And Ohio State rotated strong or to the field, making that field guy, field rotation guy, almost in like a buzz position. He was the three dropper in the fire zone. And he ends up covering – he ends up trying to get to the guy late that ends up scoring the touchdown. But, you know, the quarterback recognized that he was coming down. The guy goes – the guy scores the post late, which is, which is good. He should, should have looked more like a two-shell. But I think that he recognized the field safety was down a little bit more and wasn't, like we talked about last week, he didn't have enough width out over two to be there. And they were bringing both backers, so he was dropping in as the three-dropper. And he just got there late to that seam ball. It hit him. And, you know, it just such a uh, – you know, you talk about a game of inches. If he would have – they would have rotated the other way maybe or if he would have just kind of came down behind the backers, he would have gave it away for sure if he walked in behind the linebackers. But he might have been able to cover the guy. So, you know, it just – some of those things with the skies and just how late and where you put guys to, to confuse the quarterback, you can get yourself in trouble at times with it. I thought that was a just an interesting play. You could watch that play five or six times and 
and really get some good information off of it. In college football, especially any three into the boundary, whether it's the back, you know, any type of reduced split with the back offset that way into the boundary, something is typically up. It's not usually a, a base normal play. I mean, you get a lot of snag seven, but that was the, that was like the double out the wheel with the, with the tight end out and another one up the seam. I try to clear out, clear out, and, and then fire one up the seam. And it was a great play by Notre Dame. I thought they did sure. a great job with it. The quarterback was was patient, saw the saw the rotation, and then held it, held it, held it. And probably, you know, I think he held it to make sure he had what he had, but he might have held it longer than he needed to, you know, because the guy did almost three dropper that rotated to the field almost didn't catch up to it. So I thought that was just from a disguise standpoint, just the things that can go wrong or – you know, how you rotate and just there's a lot of nuances in that play that you could look at and, and, and learn a lot from. So I thought that was interesting. Well, you didn't see Ohio State do that again, and certainly they had a successful finish to that game. A big part of that, as I said, was the success that they had on third down, holding Notre Dame to three of 13 conversions. And I know you liked what you saw on third down from them, and certainly it's something to learn from. Yeah, I mean, I thought they gave up a bunch of different looks on third down. It was interesting just in a first game when, you know, I know that people watch what Knowles probably did at Oklahoma State and everybody has tape of everybody, but what are you going to do with Ohio State's defense? What are you going to do with their players? So only so much can get repped if you're Notre Dame's offense. And I thought he did a great job. Knowles did a great job of, of mixing it up, showing different looks, showing different things, and maybe not even taking a lot of risks, but showing things that made him hesitant a little bit. I liked early on, you saw them get into what I call like split threes and they double mug the backers and the A-gaps. And both times they did it, they buzzed them out to what, what I what looked like like a weak buzz. You know, the, the boundary side backer, the will, he would buzz past the safety. Safety was kind of sitting flat foot. So, you know, I think it was like a weak buzz. on the. I think on the first one they did this, the ball went to like the number two receiver and safety's tackle is like third and eight, tackled it for maybe plus five and, and they got off the field and you know, that was the second time. The first time they did it was in a, in a high red. And the second time they did it was kind of Notre Dame was a little bit backed up. But I thought it was a great look because what they did, they set it up to come back to it. And they played a little different coverage when they came back to it, which I thought was, was really good. You know, and then you got a lot of man on third and medium. thought they did a pretty good job playing, playing man coverage. They brought some six-man pressures. They really got after him on the one. was interesting. They brought the six-man pressure and really smoked the quarterback on one. But Notre Dame had a bunch. Ohio State was in some type of a bunch defense in man coverage. They really had two guys inside the bunch. If, if Notre Dame would have ran some double outbreak, they ran a, they ran like a double inbreak. They ran like a dig with a follow, or a, excuse me, drive with a follow. But if they would have ran like a double outbreak, I don't think Ohio State would have been able to catch up to it because they had two of the three guys that were covering the bunch were inside the bunch. It didn't seem like they were in great spacing because, again, they were disguising for the blitz. The, the one guy blitzed right off the top of the bunch where you thought maybe he was going to point it and they were going to zone off you know, one and three like a lot of people do. It was interesting. They they blitzed really hard and really fast. And when you have great players, I think that was the theme of it for Ohio State. For a lot of it, it was just like we're gonna we're gonna use these backers that can really run and blitz these safeties, and we're gonna get pressure on this guy. And I think that was not just third down, but the whole game. And I think they did a great job doing that and using their players. But that was a little bit risky based on the bunch formation to see them do that. But you know, they sacked the quarterback, or they sacked him, or hit him, and made him cause a bad throw. Yeah, it's one of those situations you want to make sure you get those home if, if you're going to do them. I know you saw a, a lot in terms of Sims. I do want to talk to you specifically about some game planning things, but uh, some of the things you observed here 
with what Ohio State was doing with some mugs. Yeah, so they came back to like a double mug where they ran crossfire with the inside linebackers. And kind of like we were talking about in the, in the rush lane issue is the three techniques were penetrating and trying to get to contain, and they dropped both ends out as kind of low-hole players. They were in man, and they, you know, they dropped those guys out as low-hole players. Quarterback broke the pocket immediately. It was kind of one of those things we were talking about. You know, as soon as he saw those ends drop out, bam, he, he fired out and he broke the pocket and he was able to push the ball downfield a little bit. But it just goes back to, to having how do we get to edge, how do we get to a leverage rusher? And if we're going to do it with a three technique, what, what you see a lot and what I think Ohio State did not do in that, in that particular play was if you're going to do it with the three technique and you're going to try to do it through the B gap, the ends have got to stay home enough to get the tackle to kick. And that way creates space for that guy to go through the B gap and, and, and be able to convert to a leverage rush where either that or that three's got to loop so wide that you create a, a massive B gap. So you know, I think that that was something Ohio State will probably work on this week if they're going to come back to that. And it was something that it just, you see a lot in that call. I've ran that call before. We called it Missouri. You know, it's a four man with the double inside pressure and then both ends dropping out. So, you know, I think that's something that, you know, as you run that call, getting those ends to step up if you're going to contain through the B gap is really important. Coach, from a game planning perspective, on the offensive side of the ball, a, a lot of people use the Bill Wall system of game planning, which really starts with understanding how many of these situations are we typically going to see statistically over the course of the game. And, and then you're going to account for some overage. We're going to plan a little bit more maybe than what we're going to see to give us some answers and options. And I always think the sweet spot is whatever your players can handle. But for you, how do you go about organizing your thoughts and putting together that package that you're going to take into a game that is going to be able to, to be something your players are able to execute and play fast? That's a great question. It is kind of the crux of building the menu out through the week. What are we executing well that week? What is something that, you know, if we don't need it, if I don't feel like we need it, then I don't want to carry it. I don't want to spend time on it. So it just comes down to, you know, throughout the week, are we practicing enough where we can eliminate a couple things that aren't going well and, and, and really have enough for the situations. And I think what you said from a statistical standpoint, like how many third and longs are we going to be in? Like when are we going to get a sub package on the field to rush and blitz? And I do think there are statistics over time that matter to that. I also think there are statistics relative to you as a coach that, that matters to that. So, you know, I would look at all those things to kind of decide what do we need. And, you know, if you look back at Ohio State, they gave about – Really, I think they did three things out of their double mug look. You know, they, they gave us the weak buzz, but flew the backers out and played a weak buzz twice. They gave the double mug crossfire drop in the end. And then they went to, you know, they did something really nice at the end. It's like they were in the double mug and they got the backers out, but it was they showed like they were going to go to a buzz, like a, a one high, because the, the, the safety was he even opened his hips to the middle of the field. The other safety was down, and then they kind of both got out, and it looked like they played quarters. They played like a mini concept to the three-by, and then on the backside, it looked like he just kind of played a dead quarter where he just, you know, slow pedal back. And it was on, you know, that was the third and long. So so I like the packaging of, all right, we're going to line up in this double mug, and here's the three calls we got out of it. And the one time they ran it, you know, I, I guess I'm just as I'm thinking through this, it, it makes a lot of sense now. Well, the first time they got in it, they ran like a double, what I would call a double text game, where the three techniques penetrated right. and both ends under the A-gap, and that was against draw. So it was, a, it was a, I don't know if they had a beat on 
you know, a tendency there or not. And if they did, that's a great tendency to have had, you know, coming into a first game. You know, I know that you know, the, the coordinator from Notre Dame is back, but still, you know, it's a new regime. It's, it's new people. And if you can really have a beat on it, somebody's going to run draw on you right there. That's really good, in, in my opinion. That's, a, that's great scouting. But they were able to get that game in and play weak buzz. Then they ran it without that game and played weak buzz. Then they ran double crossfire, dropped both ends, played man, and, and had two low hole cutters. That's the one where they lost the edge. And then they were able to do that and play a version of quarters. So, to me, building those little packages, like, all right, we're going to line up in this double mug front, and we got these four or five things we're going to do throughout the game. And then, to me, also to get them in. Now, maybe they had a couple they didn't get in, you know, right. so maybe they didn't. I feel like you probably three to four is about as many as you're going to build out in one picture like that. And over the course of a game, to get them all in and to trust that you're going to be able to execute them, I thought was really good. I thought that was probably difficult for Notre Dame for the quarterback, you know, just not knowing what he's going to get, especially when he's been hit a few times, thinking that this is probably going to be zero blitz. You know, that was that the one where they end up buzzing out to play quarters. It kind of gave you an issue, uh, illusion that it's either going to be man or, or zero. So, you know, great job disguising those things in, in that picture. Moving on to our option tips of the week. I know you were really excited about the performance of Delaware against Navy. Man, I was. I, I loved watching that game. It, it was it was one of those things. I don't have, I mean, a couple of things that I would have tweaked if, if I were them, but really, really great effort by the players. They played really hard. You know, one thing I talked about last week when we talked about it is, you know, you got to get the third down stops. You got to get the fourth down stops, but you got to get, you got to get the loose balls too. They put the ball on the ground four times, and Delaware was able to get three of them. You know, and that's just playing with effort against Navy. Because the one thing that I know is that all eleven of those guys, at the, you know, when you play the academies, are going to play extremely hard. So, how do we play as hard as them? How do we get the loose balls? How do we fight them for those things? Like that—that's a straight effort play, and, and that was really impressive by them and you know their players. The other thing that was impressive, Navy was zero for three on fourth down. Zero for three. Yeah, well, you can do that. That right there, you have three fourth down turnovers. They had a couple punts, but you had three fourth down turnovers, which those are takeaways, right? When you stop someone fourth down, I know that the statisticians don't like to give us on defense takeaways for that. And obviously, you offensive coaches definitely don't want those to go in, in your takeaway turnover margin, but they are takeaways. They did not end in the kick. And then you get three fumbles. That's really six takeaways, and that's that's a, a recipe to beat to win the game. But I just really quickly, they played – as a base, they were an odd team, played four eyes. They had some deals where they shifted guys from a four to a three. But generally they were odd, and they stacked the backers. They were too high, and they stacked the backers. I really think maybe didn't stack the backers as much as they had a third safety in there. But it was that stacked backer picture that kind of became popular. I would like to say I was a part of it being coming popular, not that I was running the defense or anything like that at the time, but at University of Houston 2015, that's what we ran against Keenan Reynolds. We played bear and played a stacked backer system. And, and we were able to get that extra backer to the alley, you know, pretty, pretty often. And it kind of became a little more popular. And you know, I know Georgia Tech and Clemson had done it some. And uh, we, we did a little bit at the University of New Mexico. But uh, they did that as a base. And then they changed up. And then they played a little bit of a – like walked the outside guys, took their edge guys in the three, four and widened them out then walked their two inside backers up and then had their safety as kind of a one backer box. But the, the point was they played two different forces. So when I talk about force in the option game, you're talking about essentially who has the pitch player. 
And so when they were in there, their stack backer picture, their regular like three, four picture, it was sky force, right? That onside safety when the motion, when action's coming at him, that onside safety is the guy pulling the pin and he's got that backside safety's coming over. That high backer, that middle field guy, he's running the alley, you know, and has got the quarterback. Mike's matching pass with fullback, that type of thing. So that was good. And then when they got in the other picture, it was a backer force, right? They were taking the pitch from the line of scrimmage. It was that end that uh, the outside backer guys walked up and widened out. They were taking the pitch. So the thing I love about that is you really need to be able to play two different forces, and, and you have to play it frequently. I think sometimes you go into those games and then you have a backer force or a, a way to take the pitch from the line, and you don't call it enough. I'll, I'll watch games, you know, where – Somebody does that maybe like three or four times where I thought Delaware did it a lot. The only criticism I would have was it looked different. So I think they knew they were getting that type of backer force immediately once the picture changed. So, you know, it, it obviously worked for them. Just not something that, you know, if I had any criticism, that's probably about all the criticism I, I could have for them. The other thing was I thought was it was so funny. They were run, They were getting some fullback dive, which, you know, it's not veer blocking front side. It's kind of like a zone dive. Is, is what the academies have gone to. And they were making some making some money with it because the, the backside backer couldn't get over there to get the fullback down. They were getting some push. And I was sitting there watching them thinking, man, they, they need to play the nose front side once or twice to get the ball to cut back to the backer. And they try to make it easier on the backer, either that or just blitz them. And the next play, man, the nose went front side, the ball cut back, and the backer hit it, and it was second and nine. So I thought, you know, whoever was calling it, whatever adjustments they were making, we, we were definitely on the, on the same page. So that was a, a funny little thing that I thought of there. And then the other thing that got them a little bit, and the Navy actually didn't block it the way a lot of these people block it. When, when they flex a slot out and they get into, like, slot formation and you have an overhang, like an apexed overhang, they are typically going to double crack you and make the corner play the pitch. Navy didn't do that. They blocked the safety in the corner, and they let the overhang play. But what happened on the first time they did it, the overhang, like, stepped in and took the quarterback, and they got the ball on the perimeter, and the ball circled the defense. Probably the only the one time the ball really circled the defense the whole time. And the next time they came back in that formation, they sent the overhang to the pitch. Okay? So what I've always felt, anytime you're playing an option team, when they flex the slot out, you want to be taking the pitch from the line of scrimmage because it avoids that double crack world and putting the pitch player, making the pitch player the corner who's got so much time and space to miss. Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a hard job for that corner to come off of a double crack and play the pitch when the whole game he hasn't been doing that. And then, and then it forces you also to, to play the corner so far off to, you know, because if you're playing them tight, they don't even realize it's a crack until the ball's on their back. So you got to play them so far off to have vision on all these things. And it just, you know, it's tough. So I'm a fan of keeping the apex players as tight as possible and then going to be able to check to whatever your backer force is to where that you are somebody close to the line of scrimmage and not far off has got the pitch when they give you a slot. So, you know, they end up doing that on the second time. And it just like everything, the first time it circled the defense, the next time they came back to that play, the apex player ran right to the pitch right now, quarterback ducked it in there, and they got two or three. So that was a great adjustment by them too. But I do think any time that they flex a slot out there, it's always valuable to, to look at taking the pitch from the line. And just the fourth downs I thought were great. I really did. I thought they, they did a great job on all the fourth downs, played them tough. Uh, that last drive, you know, they played the nose front side, stopped the uh, – 
they, they drove down. I don't know if, if, you know, in the end of the game, Navy was able to drive the ball down and get in the high red, and then they were able to fourth down stop. Delaware did. I'll tell you this, too. This was a great thing that came up. They saw Navy ran the throwback screen in the high red. That is a staple from an area of the field. And for all those guys, if you get into that high red on third down, expect that throwback screen where, you know, they, they fake something going one way, the quarterback kind of short rolls, and then the slot stayed back. Or maybe the tight end, if they went to, like, some of their tight end looks, he stayed back and they run that throwback screen. And Delaware was actually short down, made a heck of a play to get it down and, and not um, get busted on it. But I know that one all too well. I've been busted on it more than once. So uh, always in the high red playing option team, get them third down, expect the throwback screen. But, yeah, great job by Delaware. Played multiple forces, played the nose front side when they had to and then uh, made adjustments on the slot to take the pitch from the line. I thought those were three great things that they did and uh, played harder and took the ball away three times and stopped them on fourth down three times. So six total takeaways. Some great tips today, insight into the game. I know I took a bunch of notes here, so certainly a lot to dig into, but I think some very useful stuff. And I know we've got another great week, some big games. We'll be watching a lot of ball and sharing those insights with you again next week. Dan, again, thanks for taking the time, and I look forward to our discussions in the future. Absolutely, Keith. Can't wait.